Well, off of its first 10-win season in over a decade, Oregon State finished ninth in the 2023 recruiting rankings in the Pac-12. But it's better than you think. Let's go. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And Carter Baines is our official Oregon State expert here on the show, senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com for 24-7. Carter, the class is in the books. It's time to discuss, and it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun having you on the damn podcast for Beaver Blitz uh, earlier in the week. So I feel like we're just kind of exchanging, returning the favor here now. That's exactly how this wonderful, wonderful industry works. But Oregon State comes in in the 2023 cycle with a lot of momentum after what happened on the field, the big win over Oregon, the bowl game, getting to that 10-win threshold for the first time since 2006. It hasn't fully translated, perhaps, as we'll discuss a little bit later, onto the recruiting side of things. But big picture with Oregon State's class, how do you assess what what they did in this cycle? Yeah, you know, you're probably not going to see this 10-win season translate until next year or the year after, uh, just because a lot of these guys had already committed and and most of them were signing that week uh, that Oregon State finished up the 10-win season. So uh, it wasn't necessarily a selling point. Uh, quite yet. But I do think this is Oregon State's best recruiting class in about a decade. It is certainly the best one under Jonathan Smith. Uh, It it ranks higher than any of the Gary Anderson classes, checking in at 49th uh, in the composite rankings on 24-7 sports. But what catches my eye is the high-end talent at the top. So Aiden Childs coming in, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. He's a a 93.65 composite uh, at 24-7 Sports, and and actually our experts had him, um, I believe, as around the 50th player in the country, which just misses out on five-star st- status. So uh, one of the top quarterbacks out there to not achieve five-star status, that's one of the best quarterbacks, quarterback recruits in, in Oregon State football history right up there with Derek Anderson. And then Kelsey Howard at defensive line, again, another four-star um, in the composite rankings, he's he's a little bit higher than a 90 overall. Uh, one again, one of one of the top 10 highest-rated commits in Oregon State's football program history, and and at a position of need that Oregon State is always looking to bolster on that defensive line. Uh, those two guys are, you know, I, I think Howard has a better chance, obviously, to play right away because DJU is coming in at quarterback. Uh, but as far as talking about the future of this program, I mean, those are those are the two stars moving forward. Uh, when you're talking about like 2024-2025. Yeah, and they're the caliber of players that Oregon State just hasn't had come through the program from the high school ranks very often. And the addition of DJU and a couple other portal names that we'll get to later in uh, the show, I think 
you can make the case that Oregon State is one of those programs that, look, you'll, you'll lose an Omar Spates to the transfer portal, but you can bring in uh, a DJU or a couple of the other guys who slate to be uh, potentially impact players in, in 2023. But is there any sense of disappointment at all or letdown after the the 2022 season went so well or on the recruiting front? Is this kind of just what you expect with, with Oregon State in terms of yeah, you, you can have a really good season, you can get on the national radar more than normal? You, you do have to wonder, and it might be a sore spot for Beaver fans watching or listening to bring this up, but whether or not the exposure might have been a bit stronger had that USC game been on national television as it should have been as we discussed at, at at the time little things like that add up over time but is this just kind of what what the recruiting life is like in in Corvallis for Jonathan Smith and company that it's not an expectation or a, a knock on the staff per se that after a great season they didn't parlay that into a top three or four class Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Oregon State's not the kind of program that's going to finish in the top half of the Pac-12 recruiting rankings pretty consistently. Um, frankly, I couldn't even tell you the last time that it was in the top half. This is usually a program that's uh, in the 8 to 12 range. Uh, but where Oregon State thrives, I think, is they find the right fits. You know, they're not necessarily bringing in four-star guys every year. These two four-stars this year were the first two that Jonathan Smith has landed. So, you know, th that kind of speaks to the caliber of player that Oregon State has worked with. Uh, but the Beavers, you know, you can go multiple coaching staffs back. They do a great job of finding the guys who fit exactly what they want to do and finding diamonds in the rough. Uh, and, and player development, I think, is, is even more important to Oregon State than the recruiting side. You know, look at how many three stars or, or, you know, or even way back in the day, two stars or unranked or unrated guys who have come through Oregon State and just thrived. I mean, Hamaker Rashid Jr., two, three years ago, was like a two-star prospect. Uh, was right up there with Chase Young in, in sacks in the country. So, like, you know, that's that's kind of the, the method that Oregon State takes, and it's not necessarily a knock against the recruiting efforts to see them check in at, at – eighth or ninth in the Pac-12, 49th in the country, because they do find the right fits. And they find guys like Aiden Childs and Kelsey Howard every now and then uh, that kind of headline those classes. So, um, you know, again, I, I think looking at the class as a whole, Oregon State filled a lot of needs. They addressed deficiencies in the transfer portal. Um, but but again, I, I think it's the fit of a lot of these guys that that makes the class so intriguing. Yeah, I think going forward, and you know, this this is assuming that Jonathan Smith can continue to you know be an eight to ten win head coach at, at Oregon State in in the coming years, which I think he certainly has the potential to do. I think he is okay, and frankly, he might have to be whether he wants to or not. Having this be what a good recruiting class looks like, I don't think this is the ceiling. I I, I really don't because Oregon State has been so far down and they're not a his <coughs> excuse me they're not a historic power and the other thing too is geographically they're at a major disadvantage because the state of Oregon is not churning out a lot of talent and the high level talent or blue chip players that are coming out of the state are probably going to look at Oregon first before they, they would potentially look at at Oregon State but I, I do think this is a step in the right direction to be able to to bring in a, a pair of blue chip players from from the prep ranks. But I, I, I'm fascinated to see in the coming years 
how the coaching staff prioritizes the portal versus and and I I like their portal additions a lot. There are not very many of them, but I do like what they've done there and I think that balance is just an interesting blend for each coaching staff to to try and evaluate. I want to ask you about that wonderful blend, like a great cup of coffee in the morning. But we got to talk about FanDuel, of course. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because you can download FanDuel so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So Carter, talk about that balance for Oregon State that every program is is juggling, not just based on this class, but what could happen going forward. High school kids, transfer portal kids. What do you think that future balance looks like for Jonathan Smith and company? Yeah, I think you saw Jonathan Smith really get out on the front edge of that, you know, bringing in a, a handful of of high end transfers, really even before the portal was like officially you know, brought into existence, uh, the Avery Roberts, the Tristan Jebias, you know, the, the, those classes back in 2018, 2019 really helped set the framework for what Oregon state was trying to build. And then of course, other schools and other programs kind of caught up as the transfer portal caught on and, and became a little bit more established. Now you're seeing Oregon state use it a little bit later on in the cycle to, uh, to to kind of plug the holes that they weren't able to fill uh, via via the high school ranks or the, the the new vacancies on the roster that are opening up because guys are departing. So uh, you know that's why you see like you know DJU that's a, a December edition. That's uh, Jermaine Terry, Mason Tufaga, uh, Olu Omatosho. You know these guys are, are January guys. Like they they kind of supplement the class with the portal. Uh, and, and fill gaps that they identified throughout the course of the season. And, and that's why I think Oregon State continues to do a pretty good job with the portal. It's, you know, these guys are coming in and, and contributing right away. They are always landing on the two deep, as as most transfers do, obviously. You know, you're leaving one situation for another that, that gives you a chance to play. Um, but I, I think Oregon State has, has gotten a little bit more selective with it. I, I think they have also attracted a higher caliber transfer as well. Obviously, you know, DJU, I don't, I don't think is coming to Oregon state last year or two years ago. Um, so that's where the winning helps, you know, that's where I think if you're looking at, at parlaying your 10 win season into recruiting success, I think you see that happen more in the transfer portal where the Beavers are able to go out and get a Grant Stark who was one of the most highly coveted uh, transfer offensive linemen when he hit the portal immediately had offers from like half of the PAC 12, a um, couple other Power Five schools right away, and then picked Oregon or uh, excuse me, Oregon State. Um, you know, I, I think that's where you see Oregon State really use that ten-win season um, to its to its benefit right away. Yeah, I, I agree. And they're only adding five transfers at this point in time. That could change with another portal window still open. And I don't, I, I don't think Oregon State is way over the scholarship limit and has a bunch of roster management. So it's not as if these are the only transfers they could add. But you look at where they're coming from, and 
It's one from Clemson, it's one from Cal, it's one from Utah, and then it's one from Nevada and one from Wyoming. It, you know, it's not as if they're they're finding players from really, really small schools that could contribute or maybe are special teamers. Like when you add a Mountain West transfer as any Pac-12 school, you expect that guy to be a, a consistent player at the very least, if not a starter. When you add guys that are Power 5 transfers, you again are expecting, uh, I think from the outset, that he's going to have a, a really big chance to play. Obviously, DJU is going to slot in as the Beaver starter in, in 2023. I don't think there's really any question uh, about that. But uh, before we get to those specific transfers that I want to ask you about, Carter, something else that I noticed on the the breakdown of where the high school recruits are coming from for Oregon State in, in this 2023 cycle. Five from California, three from Florida, three from Washington and, and two from Texas. Are you getting, you know, the top 10 or 20 players that are coming out of those states? No, but I, I think as the talent from the high school ranks continues to increase, which is all it has done over the last decade or so. And I don't think it's slowing down because football has just become so, so big and, and expansive at the high school and college levels. I think that's an encouraging sign for Oregon State on the recruiting front that you can go into California, you can go all the way to Florida, and get three kids from there. You've dipped your toe into Texas a little bit. What do you make of that? Absolutely. No, Oregon State has really expanded its footprint over the last, I'd say, two to three years. Uh, for a long time, you saw you saw the Beavers just really rely on California a little bit in Washington. And then every now and then, they'd go down to Texas and, and get somebody who would come in and, and shine. The Rogers brothers come to mind uh, about a, a little bit over a decade, <clears throat> excuse me, a little over a decade ago. But now I, I think Oregon State is really starting to, to kind of spread its wings there a little bit. Uh, Blue Adams has has developed great ties in the state of Florida. Kafense Hinson uh, has, has gone down to Texas and, and made some connections. Um, but, but really, it's multiple coaches. You know, we, we've we've seen multiple coaches go outside of the West Coast and bring in high end talent. Here's an example. Uh, look at last year. You, you know, you go and identify kind of a diamond in the rough in Damian Martinez in Texas, and, you know, it was kind of passed up by some of the bigger schools. This is a guy who was like the, you know, what the, he wasn't like a top 10 player in the state of Texas kind of guy. You know, somebody, again, like a, a, a three star who kind of flew under the radar, who <laughs> the talent is so deep in Texas that you can go get a guy like that. And then he comes in and shines as a true freshman you know, as a freshman All-American. Like, Oregon State, again, has has done a very good job traditionally of finding those kinds of players. Um, but, uh, yeah, to your point, the fact that they're able to go across the country, go into Florida, um, they've, they've made a lot of connections at IMG Academy, brought in a couple of guys from IMG over the last couple of years. Um, you know, again, it, it speaks to... I think a higher a higher uh, end of recruiting ability at Oregon State right now than than we have seen in about a decade. And I think there is an interesting question to be asked of how high can it go? Like I, I don't think this is the ceiling, but I would venture a guess to say this is closer to the ceiling than the floor. But I think the use of the portal, the potential there is very real in terms of helping Oregon State keep pace with the schools that it's just not going to be able to recruit high school kids on the same level of the the Oregons, the Washingtons, now the Colorados uh, of the world. I think you could maybe even put Arizona State in in that conversation too going forward once the LA schools depart. But 
that's an encouraging trend, the transfer portal for the Beavs, because in 2022, their transfer portal class ranked 138th in the country. This year, it's 60th, and I think that's lowballing it a bit because there just isn't a tremendous volume, but the caliber of players that they're adding there, I think, is what's most notable. So let, let's let's hop over to the guys that they're adding from uh, the portal at this point in time. Everybody knows about DJU. That's going to be the starter. That's easily the most highly coveted recruit from the high school or, or transfer ranks that Oregon State has added this offseason. But there are some other guys here that have a chance to really play it right away. I want, I want to start asking about Omotosho, who you were talking about before we came on to record. For some reason, doesn't have a star rating on 24-7. Sometimes, you know, the... There are only so many writers or people who can cover this team or that team or, or whatever, but that's a guy that definitely comes in at a position of need for the Beavs this year. Absolutely. No, you know, I think Oregon State's probably its biggest weakness, or at least one of them, uh, was the pass rush last year. It hasn't been good since Hamaka Rashid left a couple of years ago, and, and before that it wasn't very good either. Um, so, I, you know, I think bolstering your talent there, Kelsey Howard, again, from the prep side, somebody who can come in right away and help there, but, uh, but Olu Omatosho from Wyoming, somebody who had six sacks last year, seven and a half total tackles for loss in the Mountain West. That's a very productive player. Um, and, and that was really in his first year of, of actually seeing a decent amount of playing time. He only played, I believe, in three games the year before. So um, still, you know, still developing and I think could be uh, somebody who factors into the rotation right away at outside linebacker. Um, m- moving along with with some of the other guys on that defensive side, uh, Oregon State only brought in one other defensive transfer, and that's Mason Tufaga from Utah an inside linebacker who will, again, be on the two deep, uh, an important addition with Omar Spates leaving. Uh, but somebody who Oregon State was was very high on out of high school, his brother Isaiah was actually at Oregon State at the time. Uh, he ended up transferring to Hawaii, but Mason uh, was on the Beavers' radar, a, a four-star player out of high school, and uh, again, eventually committed and, and went to Utah, but, but didn't end up playing for the Utes. And so I, I think still kind of a bit of an unknown, but if he turns into the player that Oregon state thought he would, and the player that Oregon state offered out of high school, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a, a two deep guy and, and potentially a starter at some point for the Beavs. The, the guy I'm intrigued, intrigued by, I don't want to say the most because DJ used the most interesting for sure. But of the other four, I, I'm curious how you think Jermaine Terry fits into this rotation for the Beavs upcoming in 2023 because Luke Musgrave gone to the NFL he of course got hurt unfortunately a season ago and Jonathan Smith in that offense loves his tight ends right it's a lot like Utah that use their tight ends very very well they've got Brant Keithley they lost Dalton Kincaid but they're bringing back Thomas Yasmin like that's a that's a big time position on on more than just the receiving front they're huge in the blocking game uh, as well when you're running that kind of pro style Rams, Niners, Shanahan-ish sort of sort of approach. A lot of one back sets. What what do you think the the Beavs have there in in Jermaine Terry? Yeah, the Beavs are probably going to go four or five deep at tight end next year. Uh, they've they've actually added a, a second tight end spot on the depth chart now, so that they can get more guys in. Uh, Jermaine Terry is probably going to be a, a tight end one or tight end two with Jack Velling, who uh, stood out last year as a true freshman filling in for Luke Musgrave. So. Uh, Jermaine Terry, 
somebody again who Oregon State offered out of high school is very high on. He's a former four-star recruit, criminally underutilized at at Cal. You know that offense, Spencer. You know was was has struggled for a long time, and it 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 wasn't good last year. Um, really, I, I think underutilized the talent and the physicality of Jermaine Terry, who was. Uh, an athletic freak, essentially. Brandon Huffman at, at 24-7 Sports, who has followed his recruitment throughout high school and then again in the transfer portal, is incredibly high on him. Um, you know, you're talking athleticism-wise, very comparable to Luke Musgrave, who is you know, potentially about to be a first-round draft pick. Um, so I think if Oregon State can utilize Terry a little bit more than Cal did and, and find a way to get him in the offense, he still has the potential to live up to that hype that he had as a four-star tight end out of high school. And frankly, I think if we're talking about schools that can get the most out of somebody like that, I think Oregon state's got to be right up there. I mean, Oregon state and Utah probably using their tight ends better than anybody else in the conference right now. His season high in catches this past year was two. It was the only game he had multiple receptions tallied just seven on, on the season. So I think there's an unknown component there of what you might have. But Cal has not been an offense, even though they kind of stylistically have set up for the set up for it the last couple of years. But now undergoing a little bit of a shift with Jake Spivetal coming over, and you add Sam Jackson via the transfer portal from uh, TCU. I, I'm with you that there there's potentially untapped potential, but I do think there's a little bit of a question mark there as well. Like, well, was he not getting open? Was he just not getting the snaps? Was it the system? What What do you have there? But when you can add someone who's 6'4", 255 pounds, I, I think that's always a worthwhile addition if you're Oregon State. I want to end it with uh, a, a wrap on the, the big picture here for, for Oregon State because we mentioned they had a great season, 10 wins, first time since 06. They end up ninth in the conference in, in recruiting, which is not everything, but it's also not nothing either. It's it's a starting point, not not an end point, perhaps. But if you take out the LA schools, the programs they're behind: Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, Utah, Colorado, and Oregon on on the recruiting front. Do you feel like Oregon State, when you're combining the prep recruits and the transfer portal? can consistently surpass any of those programs in terms of talent acquisition in in the years to come? And if so, who? I, I don't know about consistently. I think Oregon State's going to pop every now and then. Um, this year, I, I think when you look at Oregon State's recruiting rankings in the Pac-12 at least, like I, I think it's just a testament to the job that the Pac-12 has done because I'm talking about this being Oregon State's best class in a decade and it's still finishing eighth in the Pac-12. Like There have Ninth. been years... Ninth. Yeah, yeah, there would ninth. have been years where this would have been a top six, top five class. So, you know, I think there are going to be years where you see other programs kind of recruit down. Uh, it also depends on the volume. Like Oregon State's classes the last couple of years have ranked lowly because they just haven't brought in very many guys. And, and volume does factor into that. So, I mean, I don't necessarily know that there's a, a program there that I'd say Oregon State can consistently recruit better than. Before Jed Fish got there, I would have said Arizona. Um, but no, I, I just think the Pac-12 is recruiting at a, at a pretty high level right now. Um, and that's, again, a testament to Deion Sanders coming in. Kenny Dillingham doing a great job in year one. Jed yep. Fish elevating that program. Um, even Utah. You know, Utah hasn't traditionally recruited very well, but they just landed their best class of, of all time. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, you know, these programs are, again, continuing to improve. Oregon State is as well. Um, so I think it's just extremely competitive. I, I am curious to see how things play out when the two L.A. schools are out of the picture. Um, you know, how many guys do you see uh, leave the Pac-12 footprint? How many guys want to stay out here and play more games on the West Coast? That will be interesting to see. But, um, yeah, again, I, I, I think where Oregon State landed here at ninth is is probably what you can kind of expect moving forward. But, again, I think there are going to be years where um, – you know, you'll see them climb up a little bit. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, certainly if things start to really go awry, their floor is finishing 12th, but it is kind of hard to see their ceiling being re- really above sixth. Yeah. M- m- maybe, maybe fifth, but it, I mean, that would take, I, I think you'd have to string together probably three or four consecutive years of eight to 10 wins with multiple in the double digit front. You need to play in a big bowl game, pick up a big win somewhere because the other programs just have a a number of advantages right now, whether it's reputation, whether it's location, whether it's, uh, you know, money or or whatever the the case may be. I think that this is kind of what you expect from, from Oregon state going forward. I do think there's still a little bit of, uh, of, of room to climb. Carter Baines is a senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com and is also a, a well-documented mediocre horse player as well. And <laughs> still on this, all right. <laughs> Until we play in person, this Mac talking must continue. The people need it, Carter. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.